This episode of The Taylor Stevens Show is brought to you by listeners, readers, and patrons. If you'd like to learn how to support this podcast, please visit www.patreon.com slash taylorstevens. Taylor Stevens, New York Times best-selling and award-winning author of kick-ass international thrillers, and this is The Taylor Stevens Show with my good friend Steve Campbell, where we are kicking writing in the butt one word at a time. And Taylor, it has been so interesting chatting with you over the past several weeks and learning all that's happened. I know that things have finally calmed down for you and, and things are settling down to normal. So what's happened? For you over well, my, the last my, my, my cat, my cat bite is healing. I didn't end up having to go to the hospital over that one. Excellent. Still, still, Excellent. still there. Still hurts, but you know, healing. And uh, then a tree fell on the house. <laughs> <laughs> I know by this point, people think I'm just making this ish up to get attention or something. Like surely. This many things cannot happen to the same person in a row, but it did. And so, yeah, thankfully it was a really big tree, but thankfully it was also did not do a whole lot of damage. And so, you know, we're dealing, I'm dealing with the insurance and stuff like that. Yeah, that's been my excitement. (laughs) And I'm assuming that the cat did not play a role in the tree falling on your house. No, that because that would really fault. damage your relationship with the cat. It would. I mean, there's only so much you can blame on a cat. All right, we have we have an exciting and fun topic today, and it's exciting to me because of the end result of 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 the idea of what we're going to be talking about. Um, and so I won't spoil that. But we're going to be talking about the importance of making space for creativity. But I can give a little teaser and say that uh, Taylor has been making space for creativity and <laughs> is creating Between again. The fish hooks and the cat bites and the <laughs> snowstorms and the trees falling. And, yes. <laughs> so um, it's something that I've, I've it's been mulling around in my brain for a while. But uh, there was I read it just randomly fell into my Twitter feed. There was somebody said something and it's kind of encapsulated it. And I wanted to use that as a launch point, this thing that was said, and then sort of talk about my own experiences a little bit about making space for creativity. So the thing that was tweeted into my feed was this. It's hard to overstate how necessary it is for a writer to have long, dedicated periods with absolutely nothing to do and nothing to think about. The secret is that's where much of the real work gets done. And when I saw that, I screen grabbed it so I could find it again because of how true I have found that to be in my own life, the need to make space for creativity. Some years back, and I think we talked about this on the show, maybe even more than once, I read a book called The Artist's Way, which is a very old book. I think it was written in the 70s. I forget the name of the author. It's a very, very well-known and famous book and is written by this woman who her entire professional career was basically unblocking creative people. And she worked in Hollywood mostly, I think. And so she had these 
um, rules that she would have the creatives follow. One that I remember very distinctly was that she would have them journal two pages a day, which I mean, pages vary in size. So, you know, I, I think it was three pages a day, but, you know, depending on size of your pages or whatever, whatever, to me, it worked out to about 20, 30 minutes of journaling. And then another thing that she demanded was that people, the art, the creatives take time every week to do something fun outside the house, get away that had nothing to do with writing. That was just, um, rewarding yourself, just something enjoyable to do. And I never got, (laughs) never, never did that. And for me, the reason why I never did it was because a required time, b it required money and c well, it didn't always required money, but you know, you still needed to, in Texas, there's really not a lot of places you can go that unless it's like in the spring or the fall, because it's either too hot or too cold. So it usually means being indoors somewhere. And I wasn't going to just go take myself to a movie, even though that would have been completely legitimate as one of those things. Um, And then also because, you know, all my life, I, I grew up in a cult where I was worked like a dog. And then getting out of the cult with a family um, already and bills and expenses to pay, I didn't have time to even figure out who I was or what I enjoyed. It was just a fight for survival to pay the bills to to get footing underneath us and and give my kids a, a way to start in life that I, by the time I had been published and I read this book, I didn't even know what fun meant to me. Like, I don't know. I didn't know what I enjoyed. And I do now. I, I, under, I know that I love, you know, being in the garden and planting flowers and reading books and real solitary type things that don't involve being out with a lot of friends, you know, or, or rah, rah, ruckus places. But back then, I didn't even know that was an option. I didn't even know that I enjoyed it. So I never really did the um, that part of the work. And there's other things that she would have people do. And, and if you look at it, at a whole, as, as a whole, you can see that ultimately what she was doing was creating space for creativity. The, um, the, the, the journaling pages were to get whatever muck or ugh, is going on, things you're worrying about, just get it all out, get it out in the open. So it's not just eating at you on the inside and the, the going out and doing something fun, you know, getting away from the desk or the, the, creative process, the work of it is to feed that, that creative soul, to give it, to give it room to breathe. Right. And, um, and there's many other, other pieces of advice in that book, but I don't remember them. So sorry, can't tell you what they were. And the, and the book is, you, you know, the title Taylor, the, the artist's way it was written by Julia Cameron and it was originally published in 1992. And Are I you remember sure 1992 was the first publication date. Yes. Yes. Wow. I thought it was so much older than that. I had to look it up in Wikipedia uh, to, to find the, because if you go to Amazon, it, it's really difficult to find the original publication date. There's so many versions of it, huh. uh, including a recent 25th anniversary version. But well, how, um, how Wikipedia says that it was 1992. Wait, how could it be at a 50th anniversary? 25th. If it was first 
25th. Oh, okay. Okay. I'm like, I'm not good at math, but. (laughs) (laughs) And those, the journaling that she talked about, I remember this from reading it, that she called those morning pages, I believe. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. So anyway, um, you know, I've talked a bit about it on this show, how these last few years have been a real struggle for me. My brain broke, uh, at the end, it, before I even finished Liar's Legacy, um, my brain broke, and I knew that I, I had just I'd burn I'd run myself into the ground. I just burned myself out, and I've written extensively on what happened. Um, those emails are still out there. I think there's they exist as posts on Patreon, just laying the the ground for for what happened, but very. Uh, condensed version of it, really, if you look at it, is that, you know, I I ran the whole household by myself. I, I was a single mom that at the time were graduating high school. First one was graduating high school. And I've never been to college and didn't, I'm not, I, I never went to high school either. So trying to figure out the whole, um, how high school graduation works and there's just so much. And that particular child was not real good with the whole organizational thing, not motivated, uh, probably has a lot of my (laughs) ADHD issues. Um, and, uh, so it fell on my shoulders to do so much. It fell on my shoulders to get the driving lessons scheduled, get the driving time in the car get all that stuff done. And it was all happening while I was supposed to be first, uh, right. You know, I had wiggle room on this book. I had an extensive amount of time to write it, but so much was going on. There was no brain space to deal with it. And my deadline started actually getting closer, got the one kid out of the house. And then it flipped around to the next kid dealing with it. And then, um, there was a bunch of other stuff going on at the same time. I don't even remember all it was. And there was no space. There was no mental space to do anything. I, I, I had no time to, to even think through. And this was such a com- complex story. It required so much thinking. And then my deadline arrived and then it passed. And I still didn't know how to pull the book together. And I was spending like these 16 hour days just focused on writing, but with no space to no elbow room. And the, the, the tighter this got, my publisher's going, where's the book? Where's the book? Where's the book? And I'd say, I need more time. And they're like, okay, here's two weeks. Can you have it done in two weeks? No. Well, you've got two weeks, you know, and then two weeks would roll around. Where's the book? And I, I, I'm not ready. I need more time. Well, can you firmly commit to two more weeks? No, <laughs> you know, I need more time. And it just kept going like that, just on and on and on. And right when I finally got it finished, I was like, okay. You know, and there was so much stress involved in that entire situation because up until like the last five pages, I really wasn't sure how it was all going to come together because there was no space away from it to really think and and figure out, just let the ideas free flow and the connections come together. And then I got that done and I thought, okay, you know, 
I, I have chance to breathe. And then a very major traumatic event hit our household. It's not something I can talk about, but it involved extreme loss and it involved loss of life. Not me, not one of my children, but somebody very, very close to us, very violent and very sudden and unexpected. And one of my kids just, it was like trying to keep them alive to get them through this thing. And at that point, my brain just went, I'm done. <laughs> like it checked out. It said it had nothing, it had nothing left. Not it, 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 it was, it, it had maxed out and it had hit the phase of trauma, uh, just this cumulative thing. And it broke and it was done. And I, re and at that point I, I couldn't write. I tried, I couldn't, I couldn't form words. I, I could barely get through a day and just even answer emails. So things that would have taken me five minutes to do before took an hour, hour and a half. I couldn't think beyond the morning to the afternoon, beyond the afternoon to tomorrow. And, and people, when I tried to communicate what was happening, you know, people would be like, Oh, you're depressed, get help for your depression. And I'm like, no, I know what depression is. This is not depression. This is trauma. This is trauma related. My, my, it was like my brain had a traumatic injury, except it wasn't physical. And, and so I understood well enough from, I understood trauma well enough that I knew what I needed to do, which was basically step off the hamster wheel and take time to heal. I just did not expect that it would take as long as it did. But my brain has been coming back online. Um, by, by December of last year, I was really starting to feel myself again. And so for these past few months, amid, amidst all the other, you know, <laughs> snowstorms and cat bites and trees falling and, you know, whatever, you know, I have been writing, but not only have I been writing, I have found myself with the, the elbow room to breathe again, like all the, the drama of, you know, cause I also at the same, like in, in, uh, 2019, I think, no, 2020, <laughs> I don't even remember anymore sold my house moved moved again had to get both of my kids moved get more college stuff sorted out it was just non-stop so even though I had already stepped off the hamster wheel I still didn't have that space to to just not be doing anything to, to just be able to think to be able to to think about the characters and the story and the connections in them and so it wasn't until like September of last year that everything finally stopped and there was nothing left for me to do except just go back to my work. But it took time to like get it all out, like let it go. It took time for the elbow room. And then finally, you know, in December, I started to feel myself come back online. But of course, there's the holidays and there's so anyway. Throughout all of that, I was still returning to the story, returning to the story. But it wasn't until maybe a month ago or so that I started to feel the story. And it's really hard for me to explain what that means because 
it doesn't have words. But like, I don't think in words. We've already t- talked about that. And so when I'm thinking about the story, I'm thinking of the whole thing in concepts and whole connections and emotional components or whatever. And if I'm reading words on the page and they don't have that, I can't feel the story. It's just things that are happening. It's missing these layers of depth. But it's not like I can just force those things onto there and just write them. They have to come from somewhere and they come from creativity. They come from ideas forming and and abstract connections and essentially having space to just think, to do nothing. So if you've ever been in a shower, in the shower and had ideas come to you that you're like, oh, my God, and, and you're just struggling to remember them so that you can get them down. That's one of the things I'm talking about. If you've been driving and while you're driving, you're thinking and stuff starts to come to you, that's space to breathe, right? But it's really, really hard to have that kind of space to breathe when the world is bombarding you. And in my case, it was real life stuff, like present, immediate, emergencies demanding my attention, almost nonstop for two years. But it doesn't have to be that. Like for a lot of us, social media creates a similar sense of bombardment. The news cycles, which are just, um, they're nonstop and they're all fighting for your attention. The, the way that everything digital is developed right now, even the, what you see on, on the news or read in online news, it's all designed to grab your attention and pull you away from everything else that's competing with your attention, which maybe would be fine if there wasn't real work to be done. But when you're, you create for a living and creativity needs that space to breathe, that, that external stuff the, that's pulling at your attention is absolutely detrimental. So during the, this past year where we were dealing with COVID and a lot of the political, you know, vitriol that's been just everywhere, for many people, that became um, very consuming of their, their mental bandwidth, their emotional bandwidth. And they, what, it was, what it does is it steals away from that room, that space to, to be creative. So in some cases, like in mine, there's really nothing you can do to get away from the things that are encroaching on that space to breathe. But if the circumstances are controllable, like if it's online stuff or whatever, you have the power to shut that out. It's really hard to shut it out. Um, it's almost like in many cases it becomes addictive because of that constant dopamine hit that you get um, from the adrenaline and, and everything else. It's just it's either the adrenaline or the dopamine or the instant gratification. We become addicted to these things. It's taking our attention. It's denying us space to breathe. And some people are fine in that kind of environment. Some even thrive on stress and they can still be productive and creative under those circumstances. But if you find that you're struggling and you find it harder and harder to get the writing done, it's, it's highly likely that it, it's, in a, um, it's an issue of not having that room 
to to just be. And I have found now that as time has gone on, it's not sudden. It's not like you can just shut it out one day and be back to your grand old self the next. I mean, maybe if the the way that it was affecting you was minor and and hadn't been going on for very long. But the longer it goes on, the further away you are from your work, the longer periods you go without being able to really cogitate and and just um, think and 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 be absorbed by it, the longer it takes to get back into it. So you can't just sit down and next week expect that everything's going to be fine. And I didn't expect that next week everything was going to be fine. I just thought maybe, you know, this year. But anyway, after like a couple months of this, maybe even longer, of really not having much to stress about or deal with other than snowstorms and goats and geese and trees falling or whatever, um, my, it all started to come alive again. I started to have that space, that room to breathe, and it was very slow slow build. But over this past, these past two weeks, I'd say I've had some of the best productive, creative sessions at the computer that I've had in two years. And it's not like I never had any productive days or I never had any creative days before, but it sort of becomes cumulative where you get enough of them together and it starts to build and it starts to build a momentum and it's to the point now where um, I'm back to doing what I was doing when I was in the midst of all that trauma, which is not answering emails, not, you know, kind of ignoring everyday life stuff. But now it's not because I don't have the capacity for it. It's because I don't want to. I want mm-hmm. to be with my work on the page because it's starting to engage me and I'm starting to feel it and I don't want to lose that connection. And, and I'm enjoying it. It's starting to become fun again because it's not fun when you feel like you are being forced to deliver something that you're not even capable of doing. It's fun when you find yourself capable of doing something and you feel like, Hey, I'm getting this. It's like, this almost the same satisfaction you get when you find puzzle pieces and slip them into place. Cause you guys know that I love puzzles. Um, but, it, but it's not fun to, to have a box of puzzles that with pieces that don't fit together, you know? And so I find myself more and more, just the more time I have to spend with that work and my thoughts in the, in the shower when I'm driving are no longer, you know, kids, bills, um, figuring out how to solve this problem. Oh, I got to make that phone call. It's like, so when Monroe is here in this situation and she's having that conversation and I'm thinking about it and boom, an insight, right? Those insights are what 
make the writing that that's what makes writing possible. And that's what that, that, uh, quote that I started off with that tweet where the person was saying, you know, it's off the page where all the writing gets done and having that space to, to just breathe and do nothing. That's what we're talking about. If, if your brain is so consumed with all these other things, it never has a chance. And then to, to really explore beyond the actual words on the page. And then when you sit down and you're trying to get those words on the page, there's nothing there. And, and you spend the time in front of the computer or whatever it is that you use to write, trying to come up with those insights. And that's just not the way it works for most of us. So if you're in a situation, I guess what I'm trying to get at here is if you're in a situation where life has come at you hard and you just are trying to keep your head above water and keep your family safe and alive well, but go easy on yourself. Go way easier on yourself than I did <laughs> on me. Um, because what, what the heck do you expect? You know, that, that's your priority and you just don't have the bandwidth to produce at the level that you maybe are normally used to. But if you're in a position where you have choices, you have the choice to shut out things that don't matter you can turn off whatever's grabbing your attention and your emotions and use that time to do something away from work, like go for a walk, go for a drive. I mean, go drive for an hour and come home without stopping anywhere just because of the the, the way your brain disengages and focuses on autopilot almost sometimes when you're driving. Do something that doesn't require um, that intense focus, um, a mental problem solving. Use the same time for that, and you might find that your world of possibilities sort of starts to open up again. It doesn't, it's not going to be magic. It's not like, oh, yay, now I just, the words come effortlessly and the story's just flowing. It's still work but at least I can do it versus how it was for so long where I couldn't even put thoughts into words to get them on the page. So anyway, that's, that's pretty much all I got on that. Would you say that over the course of the last three years, and maybe not over the course of the last three years, but would you say that about three or four years ago, you started to realize that your current lifestyle was unsustainable and you began putting plans in place to simplify your life? Yes. <laughs> well, it was a very long-term plan. Um, mm -hmm. uh, for, for the, you know, as, as many people with children have done, you, you make decisions that maybe aren't in your own best interest, but which are in the best interest of your children. And, um, because of the way things had happened with marriage and divorce and whatever, uh, I was in a house that was more house than we needed. And for a time, it was fine. I, I didn't have a problem affording it. Later, it started to get harder and harder. Um, but I did not want to move until I'd gotten the kids through high school because I didn't want to uproot them especially not in their later years. So I stayed much longer than I wanted to in a place I didn't want to be for them so that they could have that stability. And as soon as 
I, we were in a position to, I sold the house and I was like, I'm out of here. Right. But it, and it was a process of like, this is just too much. And I really wanted to limit my, not just my footprint, but the expense of maintaining that footprint. It just shed anything that I didn't need, uh, that I, that I would have to pay for. Like why, you know, if I don't need it, I don't need that expense, get rid of it because, I don't want to have that burden hanging over my head. Not everybody's in that position. I mean, for the longest time, I wasn't in that position. I had to stay, didn't have to, but chose to stay uh, with more than I needed, spending more than I wanted in order to give my kids that, that, that footing. Um, But to, to shed it, to get rid of it, it was like a four-year process of, of already seeing in advance, like, this is what's coming down the road, and this is what I need to do to be able to get there. But what, what I find interesting, and, and this is, I mean, maybe a great lesson for people in general, is that you, you, you had this goal, this objective in mind that you wanted to accomplish, and everything kind of conspired against making that happen. There were so many bad things that happened at once. It would be really easy to just want to curl up in a ball and and just like wait until the tsunami of crap stopped. But you just kept pushing the ball forward a little bit at a time, despite the fact that it was hard and, and despite all the obstacles that were in your way, because you wanted this simpler, uh, lower, impact life, I guess, lower impact in terms of, not in terms of impacting the world, but in terms of impact for finances and things like that. Yeah. But I don't get any credit for that because it's like, I didn't have a choice. I wanted to curl up in a, in a ball, but, and and just wait for it to pass. But I couldn't because my family was depending on me. And, you know, if I fell apart, then what, you know, but it did that does I'm not special in that regard. I mean, honestly, I feel as if I was very um, privileged and had the luxury to make these decisions because there are so many people in life who are working two, three jobs just to make ends meet. They don't have the luxury of just saying, oh, I'm going to sell a house because they're barely making rent, you know? So... You know, and and people who work through uh, horrific pain, physical pain, disabilities, because they have no choice. So, yes, I did, but I don't get any pats on the back for it. You know, it's it's hard to explain what I'm trying to say. It's like you do what you got to do. But what I had to do was not so hard compared to what other people in similar situations have to do. All right. Fair enough. All right. um, Interesting show. So uh, there are lots of different ways we could go with this. There are lots of other ways of of just kind of creating space. But we're we're sort of at the end of our time here. So maybe we'll do that in another show sometime in the future. So thank you guys so much for listening. We will be back again next Tuesday. Thanks for being here. See you next week.